Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast from the LPRC. This is our latest in our weekly update series. We're joined today by, as normal, uh, our Tony D'Aprio and Tom Meehan and our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on around the world um, as we continue to move through and hopefully out of the pandemic at large. And uh, we all know that it's really very, uh, it's a different look uh, anywhere you go um, in any given state uh, of the United States and any given country around the world as far as where they are, what they're dealing with, what's what's rising or waning or, or staying the same. And uh, looks like there are now been over 1.5 billion uh, humans uh, that have received at least one dose of a vaccine, uh, a COVID-19 vaccine around the world. Um, over 275 million Americans have now received at least one dose um, of a COVID-19 vaccine. So we continue to make huge progress. And guess what? Wherever uh, this has happened, we've seen precipitous drops. Um, it seems like in Singapore, uh, different areas, you see these places that have gotten a high level of vaccine where there's no activity. They've seen that um, hospitalizations and certainly fatalities have dropped almost nothing. Thank goodness. Others have seen that, but then they see a little mini si- uh, spike. We've seen uh, sort of these anecdotal uh, stories come out about a, you know the, a major league baseball team or whatever. But what seems interesting is that uh, what's supposed to happen does. And so if you have somebody that's got particularly viremic super spreader, if you will, as we heard earlier on in the pandemic, um, they're spreading the viral uh, particles. Uh, others inhale that. Um, they might test positive for COVID-19. But in these cases, you're seeing still uh, overwhelmingly um, asymptomatic, don't even know they had it, other tests, don't have the disease, uh, or it just doesn't progress very far. So um, it seems that the vaccines are working. Um, and so whoever the viremic person was, did they just inhale some particles and, and push that out or were they unvaccinated or whatever. We also know that even the, the most efficacious vaccines, of course, are, are 90, 95, 96% efficacious. So there's going to be three, four, five, 10% uh, where it's not expected to work. It's just the way that the person was dosed or um, the way their body responds or didn't respond and things like that. So it's all to be expected. Um, but the good news is really thanks to modern medicine, uh, again, leveraging this, we've heard now decades old technology, mRNA, um, with rapid development, rigorous testing, but simultaneous to that, the manufacture of the actual vaccine, not before it was even known whether it would be effective or not and safe or not, um, and then setting up distribution networks and so on has really done what it was supposed to do. Um, and so we see everywhere uh, masks are coming off uh, unless you're not vaccinated yet. Um, it seems the CDC is even uh, pretty explicit about every individual is going to take their own health 
and the health of their loved ones or those they come in contact into their own hands. Um, and so if you're not vaccinated and you're around people that are similarly not vaccinated or you're actually uh, infected and viremic and, um, and you're not masked, then you're responsible for your own health, I guess, or those that you're exposing to you. Um, so it's a very complicated thing and nobody knows who's vaccinated or not. And um, it's probably just beyond difficult uh, to come up with a way to do just that. Um, but I can see even here at the University of Florida where yesterday um, they came out with that nobody has to mask inside a UF building. And today's uh, Tuesday, the 18th of May, 2021. So yesterday on Monday, um, but they would hope that those that are not vaccinated would continue to, other than in uh, UF health facilities of any time there, everybody is going to remain masked for obvious reasons. They're all kind of compromised people, but most of us have teams where somebody has um, some kind of vulnerability, uh, autoimmune and other types of immune vulnerabilities. And that's something that is still under study. Those that are not vaccinated wearing masks in particular, and in particular those that are have some of those conditions remain masked uh, because they're very vulnerable and they can't receive a vaccine. So there are those that are that are really anxious to get a vaccine, but just are not able to for health reasons. But we know that uh, there are 77 more um, vaccine candidates now in preclinical. We've got 49 vaccines uh, that are being tested in a phase one trial, um, uh, different types of phase one trials, 37 more candidates in phase two. 27 candidates have now entered the phase three large scale randomized controlled trial um, in phase. And then we know, of course, we've got the six emergency use, uh, eight approved and um, with Pfizer's um, full approval uh, under review now. So there are a lot of vaccine candidates uh, continuing to move through the process. Um, so to see what's gonna end up happening um, around the world as far as that goes. Uh, we see that um, all the country that the U.S. and other countries that are now starting to generate an excess of vaccine uh, are sending that in mass to places like India and others that had passed theirs on and had not taken the vaccine. In so many cases, they thought the pandemic might have been waning, um, or they just uh, shipped them out to other countries that seem more desperate. So uh, people seem to be pulling together. But in the area that we hear a lot from Tom Meehan, you see a lot of fraud. I've been hearing podcasts and reading articles in India where people are being arrested for all types of fraud with oxygen generators and oxygen tanks and, you know, all types of black market activity and so on. So not we would expect that in our in our area. Um, we know the international flights are still looking more like they're going to require uh, vaccine passengers only. I've seen a couple more of those flights now. Delta announced that all new employees must be vaccinated. Uh, we're seeing the military, uh, the U.S. military um, starting to clamp down and looking at mandatory vaccines so that they can remain uh, mission capable. Um, as with others, I mean, I know that again, when I was in the U.S. Army and infantry, we, we, it wasn't something you could express your concern about if you were vaccinated with multiple things. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out. Uh, for the, the greater good. Um, the other part is uh, we see that uh, spreading out the doses, I, I talked about this months ago that there was a lot of research indicating that uh, vaccine dose one and then two, if it's a two dose series uh, that uh, they were looking at three or four weeks uh, between 
And then you started seeing evidence that if you extended that a little bit, then you might gain even more uh, potential antibody activity and heightened immune response. Um, and so you saw in the UK out of necessity, they decided to go with, let's get everybody <clears throat> one dose rather than trying to get uh, half that number, two doses. That may have been the smart play in a lot of ways. One, they got a lot more people, a lot more rapidly vaccinated and getting that immune, uh, that community immunity going up pretty rapidly. Um, on the other hand, and also by spreading it out and, and many vaccines, as we I mentioned before on earlier podcasts, that's the case. So more studies have emerged uh, lending credibility to that hypothesis that that's the way. Um, continually testing these, uh, particularly in the real world now with uh, not randomized controlled trials, but at least quasi-experimental trials that uh, both Pfizer and Moderna seem to be still very, very robust against all these different types of variants. Uh, there's certainly some escape going on, but that's not the uh, general rule. Switching over to uh, LPRC, We've, we're in heavy planning, as I've mentioned several times, for uh, October, the first week in October, 4th through the 6th for 2021 LPRC Impact. Really exciting. Uh, we've got a lot of great content. It really looks like at this point it's going to be fully physical with a virtual component to it on campus at the University of Florida at the beautiful Rights Union. Um, and that's going to allow, uh, if this continues on this track, right, we all know the trajectory is going to be interesting here going through 2021, um, but that's going to allow us to tour the five LPRC labs and do some really neat things, social engagements and outdoor components and so on. And again, LPRC impacts never has and hopefully never will be um, you know, similar to other conferences and that the, the learning labs, the content is evidence-based, it's, it's research-driven. Um, and similarly, there's a lot more uh, interesting components as far as learning from uh, active criminal offenders and engagements in the laboratories and things like that. So pretty neat. We're, we're really excited about it. LPResearch.org is a place to go to learn more about impact, to get involved. We've already got a record number of um, registrants already um, at the earliest time ever for impact. So that's kind of a neat thing. The uh, product protection, violent crime and supply chain protection summits that those working groups, again, we've got the seven working groups here that meet year round. Uh, and work together. Three of them have their own summit. Uh, those are up on the, go to the website, lpresearch.org. You can also for free subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, it's really neat, short, very um, high resolution graphics and so on. It's a pretty neat, um, the Connect uh, weekly newsletter, but that's got all that latest information and for all members to register for those three summits as well. Pretty exciting. We've had some pretty neat visits uh, with the number ones, the VPs of Asset Protection and Loss Prevention for some major chains. We hosted another team last week. Um, today and yesterday, we had a, another team that we're meeting with and doing some heavy-duty planning. So stay tuned for some of those things coming out. The Safer Places Lab uh, that we've got from the UF Innovate area set up. Um, <clears throat> we started to deploy technologies over in this, what we call the Southwest parking lot to uh, which is by and large a vacant lot and it's available for us to turn into a parking lot lab. So you see different technologies and ways that we're marking the parking lot to look uh, like a for real retail uh, center. Uh, obviously it could be an office or distribution center parking lot. We're doing some pretty cool things there and with Operation Onion, that's growing and going. Uh, we'll reveal more about that later. 
So too much to go over right now. Um, what I'm going to do is turn uh, the microphone over to Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, if you want to let us know what's going on. Thank you very much, Reed. And again, a great update on both what's going on with COVID and the great work that's taking place at the LPRC. Let me start this morning with some very interesting data. So have you ever wondered when you accept the terms of use of all those things that you sign up with, exactly what you sign up to? So actually there was an interesting visual capitalist um, infographic that came out this week. So who has the longest terms or word count in their terms of use? And it turns out to be Microsoft. So Microsoft, when you say yes to Microsoft and accept the terms of use, you're actually reading 15,260 words. And if you actually read them, it would actually take you over an hour to actually read at normal read rates uh, those terms of use. Uh, number two is Spotify. It's 8,600 uh, words, and they would take about uh, 40 minutes. Uh, Pokemon Go is third with uh, 8,435 minutes. TikTok is fourth with 7,400 words, uh, 31 minutes. And Apple, I, I was shocked Apple, the, the people that like to keep it simple, they have 7,314 words in their terms of use and it would take you a half hour to actually read those fine lines to see exactly what you're signing up to. So interesting to me how complex these companies make it and how these things, especially Microsoft, which is the outlier, really, really a lot of words. Uh, switching to the other thing that I wonder sometimes is how much money does Amazon really make and how fast do they make it? Again, a very interesting infographic this week from Statista. Uh, so Amazon makes $800,000 a minute. So again, I'll repeat it, $800,000 a minute. That's how much revenue Amazon generates. Apple's nearly 700,000. Google is 400,000. Microsoft is 300,000. And Facebook is 200,000. So all those social and computing technologies give you an idea how much revenue they're driving, especially due to this, this pandemic as we're using our devices more and more. Also very interesting this week uh, was some data that, that says, do long hours really kill you, um, working long hours? And um, I've been thinking about that because during the pandemic, some of us uh, have lost balance between office and actually work hours because we're all working from home and. Some of us are actually working longer. So there was a new study from the World Health Organization and the International Labor Organization. Uh, and they released the first of its kind. They actually looked, uh, they found that 745,000 people died in 2016 due to long working hours. And, they, the last, and the previous time that they did the study was in 2000 and it's up 29% on the, the year 2000. The magic number seems to be 55 hours or more is associated with 35% higher risk of stroke and 17% higher risk of dying from heart disease. Uh, it's more prevalent in, may, in males. Um, and according to the World Health Organization, most of the deaths occurred among people who passed away between the ages of uh, 60 and 79 who worked 55 hours or more between the ages of 45 and 74. So starting at age 45, you got to watch how many hours you work because they could literally kill you. The worst region, most affected 
which was interesting to me, is Southeast Asia. Uh, they had 200,000 of these deaths. Um, and the Western Pacific was second with uh, uh, 200,000. And then uh, US, just to give you a flavor less, it's uh, 43,000 deaths that were affected by working log hours. Switching totally to a different uh, set of statistics, uh, again, we'll go back to visual capitalist. As some of you know, I'm a, a big follower in terms of branding and social media branding, but I got a long way to go. This week, they published the top five in the world uh, leading influencer, and here they are. Number one is Cristiano Ronaldo, a soccer player. Uh, so in the sports category, he has 517 million followers. Uh, number two is Justin Bieber in music, 455 million. Ariana Grande, number three, music, 429 million. Selena Gomez is number four, music, um, 425 million. And Taylor Swift is fifth in the world, again in music, 361 million. Interesting, their biggest platform for all of these guys is not what you, I, I, it was not a surprise, but then it was a surprise, it's Instagram, that's their, biggest platform and what that tells me the world is going more and more to visual images and pictures and really that's the platforms that are going to drive uh, branding going forward. Also interesting that music and sports were the, the, the drivers of the top five. And let me close uh, with uh, the new study that just came out from uh, Jack Hayes, his 33rd annual retail uh, theft survey and this is for the United States. Uh, and well, very interesting insight in terms of what COVID has done to retail theft. So as uh, was summarized by the authors, while temporary store closures due to COVID uh, pandemic resulted in fewer thieves being caught in 2020, the average shoplifting cases increased 13% and the average dishonest case value increased 4%, nearly 4% over the previous year. So summarizing, uh, the study itself, here's the key data. Uh, 22 large companies participated. They had nearly 20,000 stores and 500 billion in revenue. Uh, apprehensions were nearly 185,000. Um, and dishonest employees uh, were down 41% from the previous year. But note, essential retailers, which ones that remained open, their apprehensions were up nearly 8%. Participants recovered 81 million. Uh, and for essential retailers, again, this increase for the rest of the population, it decreased 30%. There were nearly 160,000 shoplifters, down 44, nearly 44%, and 49 million recovered. But again, for essential retailers that stayed open, uh, shoplifting was up nearly 9%. Dishonest employees near the, nearly uh, uh, 20, actually 20, oh, just over 26,000 were represented in 2020, down 20%. But again, for essential retailers, dishonest uh, stats increased 3%. And this is the most interesting of all the data that was in here. Total theft was on average $440, up 20%. Uh, shoplifter theft was on average $310, up 13%. And for employees, uh, the Average theft was 1,219, up nearly 4%. So uh, number of cases went down, but the average of what was stolen went up. So 
interesting year in terms of 2020. So summarizing this week, all that fine print was really a reminder that we need to keep figuring out how to make it simpler. And Apple, in my view, has got to do a lot more again because they, they project the, the simplicity flavor and, and they're in the top five in terms of the worthiest terms of use. Uh, tech giants like Amazon and others are making a lot of money. And if I had to translate to every second, it will still be a lot of money. Some of us are working too hard uh, and COVID, it could actually kill us. So we gotta watch out exactly how we balance all this. Uh, the world top top 10, uh, top five influencers, what that told me is that uh, really the world is gonna be a lot more visual and we gotta, and really everyone needs to figure out how to tell their story more visually to be noticed in this uh, world where there's a lot of information available. And finally, the data on retail theft just confirms again, all the great work that's going on at LPRC to come back and why all of you should be joining us on this journey with science-based research to attack it. So, and with that, let me turn over to Tom. Uh, thanks, Tony. Thanks, Reed. And um, some really interesting stats from both of you. I just wanted to touch base a little bit on the colonial pipeline. We spoke about it last week uh, and the ransomware attack. And so the colonial pipeline is back open. Uh, the White House has made an official statement saying while it is a Russian hacking group, they do not see any direct ties to uh, the Russian government. Uh, this group called the Dark Side uh, actually was a known for ransomware as a service or hacking as a service where they would actually sell their service. They, they officially on their website, on the dark web, closed down and said, um, and this is an interesting one, based on pressure from the U.S. government that they were closing their doors. And this could be a, a ploy uh, to just simply change their name and reopen, which often happens, or they could really be uh, concerned and basically trying to shut up, uh, close up shop and, and move on so that they don't draw any more attention to them. It's not uncommon for high profile uh, groups to disband and re, you know, re-engage with a different name. Uh, it is a little bit uncommon for them to publicly say this. So that's a very interesting twist with this. Obviously, uh, this is an infrastructure attack, and, and so the U.S. government has a lot more interest in catching people and setting an example. And um, you know, when you can catch a group and physically apprehend people in non-treaty countries like Russia, it sets the tone that we're not we're not going to tolerate it. So, generally, with these cases, uh, what happens is someone goes on vacation, crosses a border, and then they're picked up. So, more I, I'm sure we'll hear more about it. It could be a year from now. Um, in in lieu of what occurred with the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack, there's not a lot of information that was given on how they how the government responded, except for the fact that the White House made an official statement that they were still looking at it and that they didn't believe it was Russian state-sponsored back. Um, I think in the cybersecurity security world, uh, there's kind of this overarching cloud that if it happened in Russia, the state uh, it's state-sponsored in some way. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, um, but uh, certainly, there's more to come on that. This is, however, affecting some gas prices and gas shortages, and it's not affecting it because the pipeline was closed. It's kind of the the same thing that occurred when you know uh, the pandemic started and people were buying toilet paper, paper towels, and bottled water. Is that there was a gas hoarding event that happened throughout the southeast, 
So it's very interesting because it's it's very state specific. It's not everywhere on the East Coast, but when you look at some of the some states, they have uh, basically gas. They're out of gas, and what everybody is saying is that this is not a supply chain issue. It's just that people are buying an exorbitant amount, filling up, buying you know cans of gas, going in and and in in a higher degree of fashion than normal, which is causing disruption in the delivery and that they can't keep up. So the message from the U.S. government um, really was to slow down that you're, we're not out of gas, there's no danger, and to let everybody get gas versus, you know, filling up every gas can you have and every piece of equipment that you have. So um, I, I can't really speak uh, to the Southeast or the middle uh, mid-Atlantic states because I haven't been traveling uh, in New York and New Jersey. I haven't seen any impact, a couple cent change, but I do know that uh, there's a lot of reports on it. And again, this is, you know, the message that I'm hearing from everybody is that this is not a true gas shortage, that it's more of people, the hoarding mentality. And I think we all learned throughout COVID that paper towels and water and toilet paper, and it really was uh, the, the challenge was people were buying more than they needed, which weren't allowing for everybody, which created this kind of fictitious supply and demand challenge. And that is the, the what everybody is saying is occurring with gas. So stay tuned to that. I do think it'll it'll fizzle out. I do unfortunately think on the East Coast, it will have um, a, a little bit of a lasting effect from cost because the pipeline that was down for um, you know five or six days, which is significant. It also re-highlights what we talked about last year is that the the danger uh, of our infrastructure in the United States, uh, you know, we, we, we are one of the most technologically advanced company, countries in the world, yet our utility infrastructure is probably, um, you know, several decades behind. And while this was a ransomware attack that had a human element to it, it just shows to the the fact that if you think of of uh, the size of the colonial pipeline and uh, the money behind it. So this isn't a money play. This is an underfunded operation, you know, owned by Shell, KKR, and, and you know they, they have funding to have proper cybersecurity. It just shows that um, the human element is so real. And then switching gears to something that I, I think actually our listeners have probably seen is um, there is a resurgence of a Facebook Messenger scam. Uh, so if anybody's ever received the, that. Facebook Messenger message from your friend that says, check this video I found of you. And um, this is a phishing attempt to get your credentials um, for Facebook. So when you click on that video, it tells you you have to log in. And this is a unique attack because unlike most phishing, when we talk about phishing scams, we often say, don't click on links when you don't know the person, when you're not expecting something. Um, but when it, you know, when it's coming from a friend or a relative, you're much more likely to click on it. And um, the messages for for about a year was always, you know, I found this video of you, check it out, or I can't believe you're in this video. And it prompts the human, uh, you know, kind of the human side of, oh, I want to see what that is. This scam is resurfacing in a big way. And again, it, it, it all of the training and teaching of don't click on a link from someone you, you don't know changes here because now it's someone that you do know. And I actually, um, it, within the industry, I have a lot of friends on Facebook, I, Tony and Reed, and we're all on Facebook together. And, you know, that's the place where you see pictures of the family and things like that. I've actually received uh, several messages from industry folks, uh, people that probably listen to this podcast that said, you know, check this, this video out I found of you. And it is, it is a phishing attempt. So resist the urge to click. If you don't, you know, if, if it, you know, if you're listening to this, 
and you you're you're friends with someone that never has sent you a video before and has this awkward message take the 10 seconds to text them and say hey did you send this to me and it, it this the way this hack works is um, it's a growing, it's kind of a, a grow model and it, it is crowdsourced, if you will. So if I click on it and put my credentials in, it's going to send that message to everybody that I'm friends with. So if you think of the repetition, so, you know, if you have 500 friends, um, you know, taking the simple, uh, you know, kind of law of averages is even if only two people click on that out of your 500 and they each have 500 friends, it grows substantially. What some of the data is showing is roughly 30% of the people are clicking on it because it is coming from a friend or a family member. So uh, although this has happened, I think three times in the last five years, it's happening again. And this particular um, uh, piece of it does not, it seems to be a, a credential stealer where it's trying to steal username and passwords, but there are other nefarious things that can occur. So kind of taking the grain of salt of if you're not expecting something and you can really take a few seconds to double check with someone. And that's what it is. A few seconds to send a text message. If I get a video from Tony, I'll send him a text message saying, Tony, did you send me a video? And then that, that few seconds can avoid a whole bunch of challenges that come, come about. And then lastly, uh, kind of switching gears and Reed alluded to it a little bit with the COVID, we continue to see chatter around black market and counterfeit COVID um, drugs. One of the things I'll say is in the United States, what we're seeing predominantly is uh, negative test results for sale and, co and vaccine cards for sale. Not, I am not personally seeing a lot of uh, counterfeit vaccines for sale in the US. I am, however, overseas seeing a tremendous amount of, and when I say counterfeit, I should be careful, vaccines for sale, where whether they're counterfeit, uh, shipped here from China, um, or you know, you don't know what you're getting. There is a tremendous amount of that occurring, and then unfortunately in India, um, there's just a gamut of scams of people selling everything that's needed, from PPE to to oxygen to a machine, which I don't know the proper terminology, which you know harness oxygen. And um, on, and most of the reports that we're seeing is that these are are you know uh, not real and that, that they're in dire need. So people are running and turning to the internet. And um, you know what I would say is, while a fraction of these could be legitimate, the most of the reports are not. And we are seeing that throughout countries that are having challenges, both with COVID and with the vaccination effort. So if you're in a country that has sparse vaccinations, you're, it's likely that you're seeing a bunch of pop-ups of, you know, you can buy the vaccination here. And, and these websites are pretty well. And the scariest thing of all is that a lot of them are shipping something out. So um, I wish I could tell you I knew what that something is, but you're getting something that you're told to inject in yourself. So obviously there's significant risk there. And if it's a counterfeit vaccine, if it's a, if it's a you know, a home mix vaccine, uh, th there's real risk there. But it is pretty rampant throughout the, the world globally of this kind of uh, methodology. And then we did talk very high level last time. I think Reed mentioned, I mentioned of someone who falsified a test and, and had jail time. I think we're going to continue to see that occurring. Um, and I, I'm, while I'm not going to talk about this time, I know Reed mentioned it a little bit, I think we will talk about probably in the next podcast, um, some of the 
decisions, hard decisions retailers have to make about mask, no mask. Now that CDC has released some guidelines, there's a lot of folks that are taking the honor system. And then how do you manage, again, we'll talk about this because it's so new next week. How do you manage your state mandates where your company says one thing, your state says another, or you have a local jurisdiction saying something else? It becomes a very, very challenging environment to navigate for retailers and businesses. So more to come on that. Over to you, Reed. It was a perfect segue, Tom, um, in that this Friday, this Friday, we have an all retailer member cluster call um, around just what Tom was describing. And that is, and, and when this, um, this podcast should come out on Thursday, so give a little bit of a heads up. But um, what we'll do is have a just discussion around, as Tom said, very complex. I mean, what do you do? How do you do it? Has been the question from day one over a year ago now of this pandemic. So what do we do with these different mask mandates and different ways to look at them and think about it, uh, enforce them, whether it's for your workforce that's in close contact in an office environment or processing in the back room or in the cash office, for example. And then, of course, the ever popular, um, how do we handle our customers to keep them and our employee, our store teams safe themselves and those that they go home to, their loved ones. Um, so tune in for that. We'll also generate uh, some notes, a recap for our SPs, our solution partner members, and get that out ASAP. Um, and I'm going to, you know, Tony and Tom are invited to be on that call, of course, and participate. But I wanted to get that out to everybody for all retailers that are listening. Um, this Friday, we'll have a cluster call. You should have already received an email. Uh, Diego Rodriguez is producing that um, as all of the science to practice um, uh, engagements that he does. So more to come on that. So thank you both, Tony and Tom, uh, all of you out there listening, Diego, for producing. Um, stay safe and keep us informed at lpresearch.org. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Office Prevention Research Council.